SAFM, leading the conversation. Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. A generational long dispute over the Essequibo region has now re-emerged between Venezuela and Guyana. What is the history behind it? Where did it all start? And how do we get to the moment we are now? Those are some of the basic and rudimentary questions that we have to explore before we speak about the minutiae of the oil and the wealth attached to it and uh, the current politics, the contemporary politics of the day. Gregory Wilpert, a sociologist and uh, the author of Changing Venezuela by Taking Power, the History and Policies of the Chavez Government, joins us for this conversation. Gregory, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate us, uh, you, you joining us. Please take us to the beginning of this territorial dispute between Venezuela and Guyana. What happened? Why was there a border agreement in 1899 and then how did it come about? Yeah, actually, uh, the roots of this conflict uh, start already back in, you know, the colonial era, uh, that is in the 16th and 18th century, when, uh, you know, the Dutch had colonized uh, Guyana, but um, then uh, through uh, various uh, treaties and agreements, there was a dispute, and when uh, uh, Venezuela became independent, and so did um, uh, Dutch Guyana, or at that time it became British Guyana, became independent, and um and that dispute was supposedly resolved in 1899 as you mentioned however um it was actually uh, the venezuelan side considered to be highly biased because no venezuelans were present in that uh, supposed agreement um and the united states which was operating under what was known as and still is known as the monroe doctrine actually claimed to represent venezuela in that agreement so-called agreement um venezuela never accepted that agreement and um and then finally uh in 1966 was actually a real agreement between guyana and uh venezuela which was that a uh and it didn't resolve the border dispute both sides guyana and venezuela had a claim on this territory um that's between the two countries and um in 1966 they just agreed on a process for finding an agreement um, so they both essentially at that time rejected the 1899 uh, supposed agreement. So that's one of the things that most people don't realize. Um, the 1899 uh, agreement had been rejected by both sides already in 1966. Uh, now, though, uh, oil was discovered uh, recently. That is in uh, between 2013 and 2015, ExxonMobil discovered billions and billions of gallons of uh, barrels, I mean, of oil off the coast of uh, this disputed territory. And uh, it was allowed to investigate by uh, Guyana. And uh, the Venezuelan government said this, uh, that Guyana, based on the 1966 agreement, had no right to do that. And not only that, they've even started recently to um, to uh, make concessions, that is, for, uh, for the extraction of, the, of this oil. And that's what really, that was in 2018, and that's what really heated up the conflict because Venezuela has uh, a claim on that same land, and Guyana basically gave ExxonMobil the right to start uh, extracting that oil off the coast uh, of this disputed territory. Yeah. Geographically, paint us a picture where this disputed territory truly lies. Well, it's um, just to uh, the east of uh, the easternmost border of Venezuela and to the west of Guyana, um, which is uh, it's a kind of a, 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 a uh, how to say a very long strip of land that's about the size of Florida, um, and 
it uh yeah it reaches from the coast all the way inward to to the amazon it's actually one of the most untouched parts of the world uh only about a hundred thousand people live in this territory like i said it's the size of florida the state of u.s state of florida and um and more or less the same shape as well and um guyana which is right next to it and shares you know a long border with it it has approximately um 700,000 inhabitants then there's 160,000 or so in the disputed territory, and then Venezuela, of course, is much larger. So it's it's right between these two countries. So there is clearly a shared history between the two countries, and the 1966 agreement reflects that. And it was supposed to uh, chart a a path towards uh, a resolution around the disputed region. Why hasn't it taken full effect? Well, mainly because they just couldn't reach an agreement. I mean, and that's the thing. Is, and I just want to make a note, though, um, that, um, you know, both countries have an equal claim in the sense, uh, you know, because th- there was no resol- resolution. They both claim it as theirs. So, therefore, calling uh, Venezuela out as being uh, trying to annex it is a little bit of a misnomer because uh, it really uh, has been making that claim on this land for a long time. So it's not really annexing anything because it is not. All of the Venezuelan history books, they always included uh, that territory as being part of Venezuela uh, ever since, uh, I don't know exactly when, but I think uh, since, uh, since the 19th century in any case. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it's just there's, uh, there's, there hasn't been enough pressure, really, to find an agreement, and there hasn't been uh, a, way, a clear path forward. It's only now with the discovery of oil that has really heated up this, uh, yeah. uh, this dispute. The discovery of oil was uh, back in 2015, and, of course, uh, the commercial effect of it took place from about 2018 going forward. I mean, Guyana is the fastest, one of the fastest-growing economies in the world as a result of that. Its economy quite literally boomed. A lot of multinationals have set up shop over there uh, and are extracting and commercializing oil and gas that they're uh, uh, drilling for in that region. Why did it take, why did it take from 2015, uh, eight years to get to the point where there's a referendum and a vote on it and the president uh, of, of Venezuela, President Maduro, announcing a new uh, map, so to speak? And I want us to get into the detail of the new map thereafter. But what happened in the last eight years? Yeah, I, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a, <laughs> unclear as to what exactly happened. I mean, in the sense that um, aside from the outline that we already uh, desi- uh, presented, but uh, it seems like, I mean, I would say that it also has something to do, well, first of all, the oil extraction you know, process itself always takes some time. So that's, uh, you know, after the discovery, it just takes some time for the investments to actually result in something. And so that's why it took a couple of years. But um, uh, but I think the big question really is why in 2023 it has it become such a huge issue? And um, one of the – and I think it, uh, both international and Venezuelan domestic politics play into that. I mean, sure. particularly the international aspect, which has to do also with, uh, you know, the, the dispute around um, President Maduro's uh, legitimacy uh, that the United States and other of the U.S. allies have tried to raise – uh, and and um, encouraging Guyana to go ahead with this oil extraction, knowing full well that if it has the backing of the United States, that that would only inflame relations and would cause 
uh, a conflict, which is basically one could say that might, might be something that the United States is seeking because it has been seeking to uh, uh, basically get rid of uh, Maduro uh, for a long time. As a matter of fact, in 2019, yeah. uh, the United States recognized a parallel government for several years uh, and uh, and, and has, you know, has been maintaining this whole time that, uh, the Maduro government is not legitimate and, uh, and, and it's using this conflict, uh, one could argue, as another focal point to put pressure on Maduro, uh, to, to basically, uh, remove him from office in one way or another. I'm in conversation with Gregory Wilpert, a sociologist and author of Changing Venezuela by Taking Power, the History and Policies of the Chavez government, a territorial dispute between Venezuela and Guyana, one that is about a oil-rich stretch of land. That's what we're talking about. I'm taking your reactions. Give me a call, 086-000-2032. Send us a WhatsApp voice note on our WhatsApp line on 0614-104-107. Tweet me at Oliver underscore Dixon on Facebook. We're going to take a break. On the other side of this, we continue the conversation. Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. It is 22 minutes after 10 o'clock. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Territorial dispute between Guyana and Venezuela is now reaching fever pitch because a referendum had been conducted. Uh, Venezuelan citizens, the overwhelming majority, voted in favor of an attempt uh, to take control over the Esequibo River and the Esequibo region. Um, Guyana responds and says that, at least President Ali says on behalf of the Guyana people, uh, on behalf of Guyanese people, that this is an existential threat on Guyana. He then called out for support from its allies, America, France, and various other countries, uh, Brazil, as mediatory bodies to, um, you know, tell President Maduro to settle down and not go crazy effectively. I'm in conversation with Gregory Wilpert. Gregory, describe to us the politics of President uh, Maduro. Um, I mean, he's up for re-election next year. And perhaps also contextually, why does he have a hostile or an adversarial relationship with the USA? Why did they not for a long time recognize him as a legitimate and credible president? Yeah, that's a long and complex story. I mean, uh, it starts, of course, with the election of President Hugo Chavez in 1998, which, uh, and who was, you know, Maduro's predecessor and belonged to the same political party. Uh, Maduro, and uh, one of the things that Chavez pursued and that Maduro pursued as well was basically a very strong opposition to U.S. foreign policy. And so that was always a thorn in the side of the United States. Uh, I think that's a very key thing to keep in mind. Um, and, uh, of course, the other thing is that uh, Chavez declared himself to be a socialist uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, developed very close relations with uh, with Cuba and with China and other countries and, uh, and this was also something that the United States did not like <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, and it basically ended up supporting uh, the most the United States ended up supporting the most radical elements of the Venezuelan opposition which consistent which first organized a coup against Chavez in 2020 uh, 2002 uh, and uh, and then there were several other attempts uh, over the years. Uh, including during the Maduro presidency, always supported by the most, uh, basically proposed, uh, driven forward by the most radical elements of the uh, Venezuelan opposition, which is the, uh, 
uh, part that enjoyed outright support by the United States. And um, so that's uh, that's basically, in a nutshell, uh, some of the reasons uh, that uh, that the that there's been this intense conflict between the Maduro government and, and the United States, which has, in the meantime, also imposed massive sanctions against Venezuela, making it almost impossible for Venezuela to export its oil, and uh, has uh, provoked a massive. Um, economic crisis in the country leading to one of the biggest uh, economic contra- contractions in, in history, as a matter of fact, because Venezuela's economy depends entirely on oil and uh, its oil production essentially collapsed to a large extent uh, thanks to the sanctions. Uh, there were other reasons, but that's really, I would say, the main reason. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so currently the, 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 the politics of uh, President Maduro, is it one, a continuation of the socialist politics of Chavez? Um, and two, does he enjoy popularity amongst the Venezuelan electorate leading up to next year's election? Well, it's difficult to say exactly. I mean, if, of course, if you look at the polls, uh, it would say that probably one third of the population still has solidly behind uh, Maduro. But that doesn't mean that the other two thirds are opposed necessarily. There's maybe uh, the opposition has, I would say, probably more like 20 percent support because it's alienated most of its former supporters uh, by engaging on this uh, in this hardline course of creating turmoil in the country and also of supporting the sanctions of the U.S. sanctions against Venezuela. And people don't obviously don't like it because they've suffered tremendously under these sanctions. Um, and then uh, then there's a huge segment, maybe 50 percent of the population that has become completely alienated from uh, the political system in Venezuela and essentially, uh, you know, doesn't like neither Maduro nor the opposition, but but hasn't been able to develop any kind of alternative. Yeah. Um, what are the chances that any real sort of action will be taken by Venezuela to, uh, as, as, you know, President Maduro said, they'll attempt to do to take control over the Esequibo? Well, it's not really that he wanted to take control. It's, uh, what, it's more like symbolic measures, because one of the things that they said is that, well, pe- um, people who live in that territory would be able to give Venezuelan citizenship yeah. uh, and Venezuelan social programs. Uh, so in that sense, yeah. Uh, but of course, those are things that, you know, nobody would necessarily be opposed. I mean, who lives there would say, oh, I shouldn't, you know, if you don't want the citizenship, if you don't want the social programs, you don't have to take them. Um, yeah. And so, it, we're, and we're not talking about a military invasion or anything like that. Uh, that has never been on the table, at least on the Venezuelan side. Um, and uh, the other thing to keep in mind, though, and which I forgot to mention earlier, is that part of the reason that this conflict has come to such a head right now is that um, Guyana took the case to the International Court of Justice, and and it's been a uh, hearing on this, and uh, and there was a decision recently that uh, said that the case would move forward uh, based on uh, and uh, on the 1899 arbitration agreement. That is, they haven't decided yet whether that's a valid agreement, but they said they would take up the case. And so that's uh, one of the things, uh, one of the reasons that Maduro proposed this uh, referendum. The other reason was uh, that uh, because of that uh, decision on the, uh, the International Court of Justice, uh, Guyana has decided to further expand oil extraction. And that was also something that the Venezuelan government opposed and saw as another reason for it to move forward uh, with its referendum and its proposals on uh, solidifying uh, its claim on uh, the Essequibo region of Guyana.
Yeah, President Maduro had on Monday issued a new map of uh, Venezuela and he, uh, he instructed that this map must be in every school, every textbook, so to speak, and every government institution that all Venezuelans must be told about this new map. What does this new map effectively look like? Well, it's, it's pretty much the same as the old map. The main difference is really only that in the past, the disputed territory was always considered to be part, like I said before, always considered to be part of Venezuela, but it was always had these kind of, you know, stripes uh, through it, with, signifying that it was a territory under international dispute. Yeah. So they always claimed it, uh, and it was always on the Venezuelan maps, but it was under dispute. Now they're basically removing those lines, in other words, kind of symbolically saying, no, this, uh, this is not a dispute this is ours um of course that's a, like i said another symbolic move really uh to solidify venezuela's claim on uh the Essequibo region uh but uh like i said it doesn't materially change the shape of venezuela because it's always like i said been part of the claimed land of, of venezuela yeah um, the oil companies must not be happy with this because <laughs> president maduro said well they've got three months to exit the region uh once we take uh, control over the region and uh, the state-owned oil company in Venezuela uh, will continue to issue new licenses under Venezuela uh, uh, regulatory authorities, um, and uh, that's how it will be going henceforth. Um, given the vast interest in uh, Guyana at the moment, it's unlikely that the oil companies uh, are happy about this. Do, do you imagine that they would see this as a investment risk at the moment? It would probably increase some of their risk, but like I said, uh, since they have the support of the United States, and the United States is just way more powerful, um, it is unlikely to change the facts on the ground, is my guess, unless you know Venezuela actually tries to invade or something like that, uh, which I kind of uh, doubt. Um, then uh, it's going to, you know, because uh, Guyana would probably have the full backing of the United States. And that would draw, of course, you know, the U.S. into the conflict um, directly. And it seems unlikely that Maduro would go so far, to, in my mind, um, or that the United States would want to go so far. Uh, but uh, And so, therefore, I think ExxonMobil probably can count on, on being protected uh, in at least, you know, in the, in the immediate future. Yeah. If, if the Essequibo region is about two-thirds of the size of the entirety of Guyana, um, it, it, there will be very little left of the country. It's already a small country with, less than, uh, with a population of less than a million people. Um, Venezuela is significantly bigger than Guyana. Um, I, I don't imagine that it would be a country with much to have or, or much to continue with. If, if, if it were to be the case that Venezuela takes complete control over the Essequibo region? Well, the main issue is really uh, whether or not it would be able to continue to extract the oil and the mineral wealth from that uh, area, which it hasn't really been doing that much. Only in the past few years have it has oil per, uh, extraction going on. And, and, you know, only something like less than a quarter or about a quarter of the population of uh, 800,000 or so live in the Essequibo region. So uh, even if, you know, that were to be turned over by some means to, to Venezuela, that would not uh, actually have that big an impact except for in terms of future income. Uh, but in terms of, you know, the past of Guyana, it has always relied on that one third that uh, where most of the population currently lives.
Yeah, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time and your insights this evening. I really do appreciate it. Gregory Wilpert, sociologist and uh, the author of Changing Venezuela by Taking Power, the History and Policies of the Chavez Government. Taking your reactions to that, give me a call, 086 I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 614 104107. Let's take a break. On the other side of this, we speak to Global Witness and an experiment they conducted into testing the upholding of the community standards and the content regulation and moderation of Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube.